Thanks for listening to the Best of Coast to Coast podcast. Become a Coast Insider, and you can hear this complete conversation as well as recent shows featuring guests discussing new cases of the troubling cattle mutilation phenomenon, worrisome instances of clandestine CIA torture, and the evidence that the lost city of Atlantis may have really once existed. Check out these programs and many other fascinating episodes waiting for you in the Coast to Coast Archive by heading over to coasttocoastam.com and signing up for Coast Insider. Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. And welcome back to Coast to Coast. Keith Comos, through exhaustive research of case files and interviews, has meticulously chronicled the brutal crimes committed by arguably what was the most elusive serial killer of the 20th century. A psychopath, a predator who steeped in criminal activity. Keith uses his experience in the technology field to apply modern scientific techniques to help resolve cold cases. He frequently is called on to do consultation work as well. He has co-written a book with Cat Winters called Case Files of the East Area Rapist slash Golden State Killer. Was just on a few a few weeks ago on the program talking about this very case. Keith Little did we know that uh, a suspect would be found so quickly. I have a feeling you knew something might happen. There have been so many developments in this case over the past year, two years, that we knew that it would only be a matter of time. This case had DNA of the offender, which is rare in cold cases. So it really was just a matter of time, especially the way technology is advancing uh, I couldn't be happier to be back on your program so quickly. Well, I'm, I'm glad you are, especially under this circumstance. With the DNA, were they pinpointed? How did, how did they find this suspect? Uh, and, you know, we'll call him the suspect, of course. He hasn't gone to trial yet. Right. But how did they find him so quickly with the DNA? They're actually being very tight-lipped on the actual process that they used and the actual chain of events that led to the actual arrest. I know that they've been using every available DNA technology, including these newer technologies where you can input the DNA and get back actual physical characteristics of the person of the DNA that you're, you're submitting. So it appears to be some good police work that was done in setting up some of these new technologies and crafting the inputs to where they would be useful to law enforcement and then interpreting the results from these new technologies and then running with the leads and using what they knew about the offender to narrow that, that haystack where the needle is kept, to, to shrink that haystack down to where they could work with a manageable amount of suspects and actually start to do some, to, to make some headway as far as identifying suspects. And there were several boxes that this particular suspect checks as far as who the Golden State Killer might have been. So I can see why he bubbled to the top of the list fairly quickly. Keith, do we know at this point if these crimes were committed while this individual was still a police officer? Yes, they were. Oh, jeez. You know, the 50 rapes and attempted rapes that he's suspected to have committed are were committed between 1976 and 1979. During that time, he was a police officer up in Auburn in... California, which is not far away from where these occurred, so he was commuting a short distance to these attacks when he was committing them. And for him to be a police officer, what a disgrace to the badge. Oh, my God. He's the antithesis of everything that the law stands for. 
it's it's unreal. And and a lot of the law enforcement folks that I know of in this case seem to be taking that fact really hard because that's it's a terrible thing to find out. Now, he apparently was fired as a police officer in Auburn after he was arrested for stealing a hammer and a can of dog repellent from a store. I had to look up what dog repellent even is. <laughs> you know, that's well, not... It's something that I think postal employees used to carry these with them in case a dog attacked them or something like that. Yeah. It, 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 but what a bizarre story. Why would you steal these things? And the story is getting stranger by the minute. Apparently, he was apprehended in this store as he was tucking some dog repellent into his, his uh, belt. And they took him to a back room, and he, he became belligerent and frantic. And they actually had to tie him down because he tried to flee the scene. And... We now know he was afraid of being identified probably as this, as this serial rapist at that point. He, hadn't, he had committed some murders, but he hadn't made it his, his craft at that point. And this, he had already committed 50 rapes and attempted rapes at this point. Unbelievable. It, it's crazy. And, that, that, that story is, and then there was some strange legal proceedings that occurred for the next four months after that, where he basically didn't contest his being fired from the police department, and he kind of faded off into the night, and it, it's a strange story, and shortly after that, he began killing all of his victims. Keith, do we know when the crimes apparently stopped? The last crime that we know of was in 1986. Now, before that, there was a crime in 1981, and then there was a five-year gap. When looking at this suspect, the birth of Two of his children occurred around both of those times, and those are the two big, long breaks that this offender took. So that's sort of eerie to look at, that impending fatherhood was possibly a factor in these murders occurring and him stopping for a period of time. Well, if they've stopped, uh, then it's been about 30-plus years. It has. How can a serial killer rapist simply stop for 30-plus years. For I, I always time. thought this was in their system and they couldn't stop. That's been the traditional thinking, is that they're wired this way, they have a compulsion, they have an obsession, this is all they can think about and, and do. We're now learning that there are cases of offenders stopping or taking long breaks or long periods of time. We thought maybe he was incarcerated, maybe the offender was killed or injured or, or somehow couldn't offend anymore. Turns out he was alive. There was another serial killer named uh, the BTK killer who also stopped for long periods of time. Right. And, and the literature shows that there, there's more and more of this. So the, the thinking on that needs to be adjusted. And this guy, he's not crazy. He was a, tac- he was a tactical offender. He was organized. He, was, he, w- he would carry things out to the letter, and he would never slip up. So he was in control of himself enough to be risk-averse and to commit all of these offenses without getting caught. He was also risk-averse enough to stop. I was looking at Wiki today on the profile of the Golden State Killer, and one of the things that just popped out was knowledge of police investigation techniques. And now we know where that came from. Now we know where that came from. 
Exactly. He, he worked law enforcement from, I guess it was 1973 to 1979 for two different police departments. And he knew very well about fingerprinting techniques. One of the reasons the profile says that is halfway through the series, he stopped using his bare hands when he was assaulting the woman. A new technique had just been developed that allowed law enforcement to lift fingerprints off of bare skin. So the thinking was that he knew about he knew the development. And then he wanted to tie them up with shoelaces and things like that, didn't he? Stuff that was basically untraceable because they would look at it under microscopes and, and new equipment and technology, and they couldn't find anything that would tie these shoelaces or these bindings to anything. He would get them from the victim themselves or from elsewhere or fresh out of a new pack, and he would use them there. And he didn't, use, he didn't leave any physical evidence on the bindings or really anything else. Now, Keith, the Golden State Killer killed 12 people, yet he committed 50-some rapes, as you mentioned. Why didn't he kill more people? Well, he didn't start killing until the, toward the end of the crime spree, from 1979 until 1986. And I know that sounds like a lot of years, but sure. he would only commit one or two murders murder scenes during those years, and then from 1981 to 1986, he took a break. What the thought process is, is that he was still living up in Sacramento, 325 miles plus away from these scenes, and he was commuting down to commit these offenses. Some of the evidence already pointed that way, because for the first intentional murder, he burglarized five homes that night, and then he committed murder. Rather than the burglaries being spread out and the prowling incidents being spread out, it looked like he was there for, for that night. He also kind of switched techniques where when he broke into homes, he liked to break into a house where there was a couple, a man and a woman, sometimes even children, when he tied people up to commit his offenses. Yeah, for his first 15 rape attacks, they were on lone women or houses where only women were present. All of a sudden, attack number 16, he switches to exclusively attacking heterosexual couples while they're asleep in bed, sometimes accosting them outside their home in the middle of the night. Jeez. And that, that was an intentional switch. The thought process behind that is that the newspaper printed something about he had only attacked lone females or single females. Well, his next attack was on a couple, was he reading the newspaper? Was he taking that as a challenge? And if so, then he was... It, it shows something about the offender, that he was following the media about himself, that he was enjoying this on another level, not just the attacks. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.